By Every Measure Season 2 is supported by the Argosy Foundation. Hey, this is Tariq Moody, Program Director of Hyphen. And this is By Every Measure Season 2, a podcast from Radio Milwaukee, part of the NPR Podcast Network. We're back, creating a safe space for black voices to be heard and our experiences validated. We understand the deep impact of systemic racism and how it continues to affect our lives in ways that many people outside of community cannot comprehend. While some of the country are trying to stop these conversations from happening, we believe having them is very important and will lead to a better, more inclusive world for all. Because you can't have American history without black history. On this episode... How does it feel just when you're in that room and you see the baby for the sure, first time, you hear sure. the cries? How is that? It, because I'm a woman of faith, it truly is the most magical thing I can experience. There's no word, but I truly believe every time a baby takes their first breath that, that God is present in that room. For new parents, the moments after childbirth, once the baby is delivered safely and that first cry is belted out, they're life-changing. The feeling of bringing a child into the world, gazing into their eyes, they're new, they're pure, they're innocent, and for them, you dream. You dream of their future. Certified nurse midwife Luverta Martin has seen this miracle many times. It is a truly moving experience. But in Milwaukee, this beautiful experience is far from universal for some. The reality of expecting mothers and the outcome of their pregnancies, sadly, but not surprisingly, can sometimes depend on their race. The data is there. The African-American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee looked at the top 50 metro areas in the U.S., and here's what they found. Black Milwaukee's outcomes in areas such as teen pregnancy, infant mortality, deaths of despair, and low birth weight babies are very poor. And looking at the data, Milwaukee landed on the bottom of the list, 49th, 47th, and 48th, depending on the specific number that you're looking at. Milwaukee overachieves in some of the worst areas, and black maternal health is one of those. Our outcome data is is quite embarrassing, actually. So there are many opportunities for growth and for change. Luverda has devoted her career to this, to growth and to change. And later on in this episode, we'll learn more about how she is helping women advocate for themselves through education. We also hear from the organizer of Milwaukee Films Black Lens Birth Symposium, Gerard Blanks. He'll share his perspective as a father as he watched his wife deal with a terrible birthing experience. Maternal and infant health care is one of those things that I don't think many people know very much about. This particular issue is the number one issue in health care right now, mm-hmm. particularly in the city of Milwaukee, but nationally. But first, let's check with historian and journalist Reggie Jackson on why do these disparities exist in the first place. We are the worst. We are the worst. We're the worst. Wisconsin is the worst. So I'm always curious, all all the guests have asked, you know, looking at the kind of African-American index in Milwaukee, and it shows Milwaukee not looking good for black people on many indicators, including this one. How did we get here? You know, it's, it's really hard to explain why Milwaukee is so different from Chicago or Detroit, you know, some other similar cities. And, you know, as I try to explain it to people, I tell them it's like looking at an onion. There's so many layers to help explain it. And it's still, even if you look at it in depth, it's still really hard to explain like, okay, so why Milwaukee? Why are we so much worse? When you look at, you know, children, being born in Milwaukee, they're being born to mothers that don't have, you know, 
jobs that have really good health care. And, you know, one of the other big factors when it comes to maternal health in particular, you know, we have a maternal mortality rate for black women in the U.S. is three times higher for black women than it is for white women. But in Wisconsin, it's five times higher with mm. the worst in the nation. And, you know, people have been studying that issue for years, trying to figure out, you know, what is it? And for a long time, people thought it was related to, you know, poverty or, you know, people just not having good health care because, you know, they were poor. But there are studies that show that it's not related so much to poverty no. because the rates and the differentials between black and white women are the same across every economic category. Even, you know, wealthy black women are less likely to have a healthy birth than a poor white woman. So it's not money. What it is is is, you know, stressed in people's lives. So there was a, a really interesting study that looked at maternal mortality rate for black women who lived in the U.S. And then they studied black women who migrated here from West Africa. And what they found was that that first generation of black women from West Africa living in the U.S., their maternal mortality rates were about the same as white women in the U.S. So there was no difference. But two and three generations later, they noticed that those maternal mortality rates were significantly higher. And what they said is that it's related to, to the stress of living in a race, racist country mm. and that it really has a huge impact on your ability to, to be a healthy mother and to have a healthy child. So those things are really incredibly important. I don't think that people understand the amount of stress that is related to childbirth to begin with, but you, you put on top of that a stressful life trying to to get through those nine months of, of you know preparing to have a child and all the stress you're dealing with and it just exacerbates the situation and for whatever reason those things are worse here than they are in other places you know milwaukee is just a very strange place in many ways <laughs> i don't think people really understand it unless they experience it mm -hmm. and so you know as i've gone out in the community and and talk to a lot of people about what they think is problematic mm -hmm. about Milwaukee and why Milwaukee is so different than other places. Obviously, we have similar problems in Chicago yeah. and Detroit, mm -hmm. Cleveland, you know, every place you go. But it just seems like it's like laser focused mm -hmm. here in Milwaukee. And, you know, I, I've always said to people, I wish I had the solution because, you know, that would be like the billion dollar solution <laughs> to fix Milwaukee. But it's not easy to fix because it's taken decades mm -hmm. and decades to, to break Milwaukee. And it's going to take a long time and a lot of effort mm -hmm. to change things up. Yeah, you mentioned the it's not related to poverty. I remember the whole when Serena Williams had the same issue and almost lost her life. Like she has the, probably the best health care than anybody. Right. And she's still having issues. She literally saved her own life mm -hmm. because she studied, you know, some things and she she saw some things happening to her body that that weren't normal. And she actually told the doctors, she, you mm -hmm. know, I think this is the issue. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, well, they listened to her mm -hmm. and ended up, you know, mm -hmm. probably making sure that she ended up having a healthy mm -hmm. birth. It's funny. She also started a venture capital firm and invested in a startup that helped women deal with that actually mm -hmm. you talk about stress there's been a lot of topics about kind of this generational stress from slavery what's your thoughts on that do you believe that's also deals with it like the stuff that what happened in the 1800s 1700s is passed on and it's internalized well there, there's a lot of debate about that in the medical community mm -hmm. you know the science behind that 
is really, you know, I think for a number of years, people kind of took some anecdotal information and they kind of blew it up. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, this is absolutely a connection, you know, that this stuff is passed down through your DNA. But I don't know if the science is really strong to support mm-hmm. that argument. A friend of mine has a good friend of hers that is, a, you know, a scientist that studies this. And he says the evidence just isn't strong enough to mm-hmm. support that. I think what it is isn't necessarily that it's passed down in your DNA. It's passed down in your life as you're living. And, you know, a kid seeing their parents stressed out is going to be stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that generation after generation after generation. And it's like the that pain never ends because you're living it and then, you know, your children are living it, your grandchildren are living mm-hmm. it. So things for black people from generation to generation haven't changed significantly. You know, we're still dealing with racism in this country. It's not going away. We're still, you know, grappling with how do we survive in this environment where we're still, in many respects, outsiders in this country. Mm-hmm. How do we survive on a day-to-day basis? And it's very, very difficult to know that you're going to wake up and hoping that your children have a better opportunity than you, but there's no guarantee that they will. That stress is just going to be a constant mm-hmm. presence in your life. So how do we even begin to solve this problem, to reverse generations of trauma? How about providing more support for all the mothers? After the break, we'll talk with Laverta, the nurse midwife at Advocate Awara, and learn how she helps black mothers manage the stress level of their pregnancies. And stick with us to the end. Our final guest will share his experience as a black father, how he's using his role at Milwaukee Film to push for life-saving equity. Thanks for listening to the second season of By Every Measure. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we encourage you to join our By Every Measure discussion group on Radio Milwaukee's Facebook page. Each week, we're opening a dialogue on the episode's topics with daily conversation prompts and a weekly virtual meetup to discuss responses and navigate the community conversations collectively. You can find the group at facebook.com slash Radio Milwaukee. For folks who may not know exactly what a midwife mm-hmm. does or what, that, what, what your responsibility is in that process, explain that. Sure. So there are different types of midwives. I am a certified nurse midwife, uh, meaning that I was a registered nurse first and went back to graduate school to get the extra education and training to then practice nurse midwifery. We are trained and certified. We know how to deliver safe and efficient care to healthy women of childbearing age. We deliver babies in hospitals and outside of hospitals. Some nurse midwives deliver in birthing centers or even in patients' homes. I have always focused on working in a hospital. We take care of women even outside of the pregnancy or birth process. We do normal gynecological care and care even after menopause. When women come to you, why do you think they come to you as a midwife versus an OBGYN or just anyone else? Why do they trust midwives? What What is that about? Mm-hmm. So the word midwife means to be with woman. It truly is a relationship that's built on trust and being physically and emotionally present. So when we have a patient, there is a collaborative relationship. We give to them, they give to us. I don't know of any of my colleagues that don't benefit from the care that they provide to patients just because it just feels great to do for others, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it is truly a labor and service 
service of love. Our physician colleagues work very closely with us. Some patient situations are where a patient might never see a physician. They might only have a nurse midwife from the beginning of their pregnancy to the end of their care. Other patients might require some assistance or collaboration or even transfer to a physician. So nurse midwives, we handle normal, healthy women who don't have a lot of high risk factors or complications. And our physician colleagues then handle women who are higher risk or might have medical disease or underlying issues that could negatively impact their outcomes. What's the difference between the midwife and the doula? A doula is a support person, someone who's educated in what is normal in labor, what is normal in pregnancy, what's normal in breastfeeding. And they're a great educational resource and a physical support for a woman who's going through pregnancy, labor, and delivery. And they actually help to provide guidance and support to women after they go home from the hospital or after they've delivered. So they can provide breastfeeding support, postpartum warning signs, when to call us. Nurse midwives or midwives, we are trained in the delivery of the baby, of course, taking care of the mom and keeping her safe. And before that, that prenatal care, that antenatal care that leads up to the process of that delivery. We typically work in tandem with each other, but a doula is not going to be delivering a baby. Typically, they might be in the delivery room with us. They might even be present throughout the whole labor, but they're not the one that's providing that prenatal care or providing that pregnancy care and then providing that, taking responsibility for the delivery of that baby. Since you've been doing this for more than two decades, Mm -hmm. what is your perspective on black maternal care Mm -hmm. here in Milwaukee? You know, there's, instead of being negative, I will say there are many opportunities for growth. Milwaukee overachieves in some of the worst areas, and black maternal health is one of those. Our outcome data is, is quite embarrassing, actually. So there are many opportunities for growth and for change, and that that's at multiple different levels, but we have work to do, that is for sure. Can you be more specific? Sure. I think, you know, dealing with patients, meeting them where they are, um, I'm very proud to be a part of the Aurora family because I feel like we work really hard to address why things are as they are. We just don't talk about, okay, let's fix a problem. We look very at various different levels at how can we fix issues. We're not problem-focused. We're more solution-driven, right? So we look at what's happening with a patient, especially a patient that is more at high risk for a bad outcome. What can we do to try to address some of those risk factors so that maybe we can improve their outcomes? That might be addressing some of those, you know, like how their social status is determining their health. Do they have food insecurity? Are they living in poverty? Are they safe in their homes? Um, do they have custody of their other children? What other psychological stressors do they have that lend into, do they have high blood pressure? Do they have depression? Do they have anxiety? All of those things, and I call the gumbo pot, all of those things are part of that gumbo pot of how someone is going to be well or not well. So when we talk about equity, mm-hmm. can you tell me the differences that you see in black mothers versus just mothers of of any other race? Sure. Well, women are women regardless, right? The biology is typically the same, but I find that women of color, black women specifically, we have a lot of extra things that we are carrying. Typically, we are at higher risk for already having those long-term medical diseases like diabetes, like hypertension, or a high risk factor for them. That's social stress, and no one can ignore the fact that racism does have a, a contribution to how we are either healthy or unhealthy. So those are some of the things that are pretty predominant when it comes to comparing women of different cultures or backgrounds. The other thing is more women of color are living in poverty, and that's something that definitely has an impact on health because it affects access, it affects attitudes towards whether we really even need to come in for care, and that, of course, has an impact on outcomes. And 
in doing my research, I saw that uh, or read that black moms in Wisconsin and Milwaukee five times more likely to die than white mothers, mm-hmm. and their infants, black infants, are three times as likely to die. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? I just think of old school shame, shame, shame that we've had this data out here for a long time. This data has been around for decades and we talk about it. We know why. We know some of the reasons why we have to do better at addressing the why. We have to do better at identifying patients that need and and giving them better care, listening to them when they say certain things are happening to me. And it might be outside of the scope of a biological process. It might be something that's not necessarily pregnancy related, but being more holistic in our approach to how we care for people is very very important. So I think about the situation, you know, the media made a big hype about Serena Williams when she had her baby and how she suffered blood clots. And she she knew something was going on. I think about one of the richest women, the most popular women in the world, knew there was something wrong with her body and was not listened to. That could have been another black maternal fatality if, if not she had dug her heels and said, no, listen to me, something is wrong. But so many of our women don't know to advocate for themselves and they are ignored. So it is really essential that we listen to our patients, that we teach our patients and just really repetitively remind them of when you need to call us, um, especially those that we have in care. I think at the community level, we can do a better job of being out in the community and making sure patients understand if you are pregnant, you need to get prenatal care. Even if you are the healthiest, most perfect woman who's had five children before, you still need to be getting prenatal care because there are things that can be identified during the course of a pregnancy that can save a life, either a baby's life or a mom's life. Just being a little bit more intentional about making sure patients know when to call and when, if they feel like they're being ignored, when to call again, when to show up in the ER, how to be that squeaky wheel so that they get the attention that they need. But being able to know when something is wrong. And I know a lot of times in the black community, trust mm-hmm. is a big factor. Huge. And I don't know if that is just with all physicians or, you know, if a black mother doesn't trust her black physician. Mm. I, I don't know how that is. Can you talk a little bit about trust and yes. how that impacts outcomes? Yeah. Too? So the data, the research says that patients of color are much more comfortable when their provider reflects their own culture or their background. So there's very strong information about that. My personal experience has been such where patients are quite happy to see someone who looks like them, particularly when I worked in a community that was not far from where I was raised. And I started taking care of patients who had either seen me in the neighborhood or who had known me from being in a certain school. So So that makes a difference. Trust is very important because, you know, many of us have been seeing doctors our whole lives, right? And sometimes what you hear from a healthcare provider goes in one ear and then you're like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then it goes out the other and you go home and you do what you're going to do. But if you trust that person who is giving you advice and you trust that person that's giving you guidance, you are more likely to follow that lead and to listen with what they're saying. One of the main causes of infant mortality in Milwaukee was prematurity. And I did see in one report that it didn't matter if it was a black mom or a white mom or an an Asian mom or Hispanic mom, that seemed to be number one all across the board. Can you talk about that in terms of just black motherhood and their infants? Yeah, well, you know, premature babies are at higher risk for all all types of negative outcomes. You know, we have come so far in technology, even in the time that I've been working, but um, babies who are born prior to full term, which is 37 weeks gestation, Mm -hmm. definitely are at higher risk for, you know, long-term consequences and even, you know, premature death. And we do see a lot of premature 
birth or premature labors related to maternal factors. So maternal disease such as hypertension or uncontrolled diabetes or other infection things that are happening that can cause the labor to onset or cause us to need to end the pregnancy um, expeditiously. So, you know, premature birth, premature labor, those that definitely can increase the possibility of a negative outcome for a baby. To take it back to just you in your room with your patient. Mm -hmm. What are some of the uh, experiences that you have, some of the conversations that you have with some of your patients? Yeah. What are they telling you? What are you telling them? What are you hearing yeah. from, from black moms in Milwaukee? So I definitely hearing um, that they want to be heard. They want to make sure that when they have a concern or a complaint, that it's not being minimized or just saying, that's normal and I'll see you next week. They want to make sure that their voices are heard. When I am in a room with patients, and one thing about advanced practice clinicians, be it nurse midwives, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, we have a little bit of extra time to spend with our patients. So we have a little bit of extra time to educate our patients. That's one huge difference also is that we really do focus on education, just making sure that they know that they can talk to us about just about anything. When I'm in a labor room, like if I'm the person that's physically, you know, managing that labor or managing that birth, I try to make sure to establish trust very early in that process. And sometimes it does come to a point because the room can get kind of chaotic where I'm looking at a mom and saying, just listen to my voice. It's just you and me in this room right now because sometimes all the noise or the excitement or you know whatever else is going on, alarms going off, sometimes you have to center them. But again, that scales it right back to what we talked about earlier is that trust and un making sure patients understand, these women understand that they can trust what they're saying to you is being heard and what you're saying to them can be trusted. And what would you say are the, the biggest education gaps when moms come in to see you? I think if there's not continuity of care, if they're not well prepared with that previous visit as to what's going to happen with this next visit or prepared with some of the things that they can't anticipate with what their body is going to feel, because pregnancy is a normal biologic process. The female body is designed to do it, right? So we have the parts to create a child. We have the parts to grow a child and the parts to deliver a child. But it can feel very strange when you are in pregnancy or in, you know, preparing to go into labor. So the anticipatory guidance, I think, sometimes is lacking in terms of what is normal. And I think when we don't focus on what is normal, patients tend to not recognize when something is not normal. And that's where we run into problems. If I can be frank, who's not listening in this conversation? Sure, yeah. Well, I think it starts really at the system level. Definitely, I think we have some policies that could be improved. So in terms of access to care, access to insurance, uh, Medicaid, both expansion and extension, making sure that health care remains a right and not a privilege, because sometimes why women are not coming into care is because of financial burden. I also think that some providers could use some training in terms of how to be more active in their listening, not necessarily necessarily waiting for individuals to stop speaking so they can say something else. So definitely some, some sensitivity training and communication training. And then it goes both ways. Patients have to want to be healthy. You know, we also have, as adults or non-adults have to take responsibility for our own wellness. So seeking the care and then listening and following that guidance that you're receiving when you're in care. I did read that uh, the governor, he does support expansion of mm -hmm. Medicaid, and there are also some lawmakers who do, Yes, but I think an overwhelming majority of Republicans do not. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, just to kind of break it down, layman's terms, what really does this mean for these moms? Yes. Yeah, they might not be able to afford it, but 
under the, under that umbrella, what exactly does that mean for them and for their children? Yes. So if you're given an option of feeding your children or paying your rent or keeping your heat on or going in for a prenatal visit or ultrasound where you might have to pay out of pocket because your insurance is not covering it or you lack insurance, you're going to choose to take care of your family and to keep your family safe. So the fact that access to quality health care and, and the basics in terms of prenatal screening, making sure that babies are growing, moms are doing what their bodies are supposed to do as they develop throughout a pregnancy, keeping moms and babies safe. If they don't have insurance to secure that that pregnancy care or delivery care is not going to be a financial burden, they're going to choose to keep their family safe and keep themselves fed, keep themselves not homeless. And since you've lived in Milwaukee mm-hmm. your whole life, you've seen how the city has ebbed and flowed just mm-hmm. in many different arenas. What can the city do? Again, it comes down to policy. It comes down to looking at what works. What is what is contributing to positive outcomes? I, you know, I'm a nurse midwife, so I'm going to say midwives have great outcomes because we do. You know, I mean, we really we have lower rates of cesarean births. We have a more likelihood of not having a medicated delivery. Our birth outcomes are good in terms of increase in patient wellness, baby wellness, and breastfeeding initiation. So, of course, I'm going to say we need more access to midwives. We need more midwifery education, and we need more ability for patients to know where we are. Also, doulas. Doulas are huge. And, you know, there has been some resistance to welcoming doulas in some hospital environments. But having a supportive person who is not your care provider, who is knowledgeable about the birth process, to be present during a delivery and during a pregnancy and a labor is huge for patients in terms of how their outcome is either positive or negative. So, yeah, doulas are huge. <laughs> I know that you said that it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. It's not just the doctors mm-hmm. or it's not just lawmakers, you know, moms and families. They Absolutely. have a responsibility to make sure that they have healthy outcomes, too. Yes. Um, as a physician, as a midwife, what would you say directly to those moms at the start, as soon as they learn mm-hmm. that they're pregnant, what would you say mm-hmm. to them to make sure that it goes as smoothly as possible? Sure. And I'll take it back just a little bit more, even before knowledge of pregnancy. Get healthy. Be healthy. You know, make good food choices. Stop smoking. Don't use extra drugs. Those things that we know can contribute to a negative outcome. Come to a healthy weight. Uh, Make sure blood pressure is well controlled. Certain things are already existing prior to even being pregnant. If you know you're diabetic, see a primary care provider. Get that diabetes under control. Same with high blood pressure. Lots of chronic medical conditions can be managed and can be handled in pregnancy. And then once there is knowledge of a pregnancy, get prenatal care as soon as possible because the sooner we initiate care, the better we can drive for a healthy outcome. I know that this is an episode about Black maternal health Mm -hmm. and Black birth outcomes, Mm -hmm. but men are a big part of this. Absolutely. From your perspective, what also can they do? Mm -hmm. Make sure they stay healthy and be present. Um, I think that pregnancy and childbirth and just raising a family is a community effort. It's not just a mom and it's not just a mom and a dad. Truly, this is old school. It is a village that helps to nurture and train children and to make sure that they are productive members of society. But being present, being listening ears, because sometimes you can have an appointment and you can hear half of what is said, but if you have another body that's there and another set of ears that can remind you or can help to support you or, or, you know, guide you with what you may have forgotten. That is very helpful. Just having a supportive partner takes two people, sometimes more than that, depending on the technology, but it takes two people to create a, a human life. And so it takes two people plus to make sure that that life is well supported and maintained. So when she says community effort, it's true. 
because moms cannot do this all alone. And we wanted to be sure to include dads in this conversation too, because too often they can be left out. Our next guest is a father himself, and he also had a profound life-changing experience on the day that his now wife gave birth to their twins. Gerard Blanks is the chief innovation officer at Milwaukee Film, and in 2018, he began a film and program series called The Black Birth Symposium. It's back again on March 25th, and will convene healthcare professionals and community advocates to advance interdisciplinary collaborations in maternal health. I know that Black Lens hosted the Black Birth Symposium, and so here in Milwaukee, what's the status of mortality rates when it comes to infants and their mothers in the city? What have you learned? I think we just assume that everyone works together. No, mm-hmm. they don't. Mm-hmm. And there are doctors that are really, really passionate about this work, and they want to work with other doctors and, and advocates and just people that really care about maternal and infant health care, but it's how do you get someone from this health network to work with someone from the city to work with this organization? And that's really what the symposium is all about, is bringing folks together. It is considered a healthcare crisis, and it is maternal and infant health care is one of those things that I don't think many people know very much about. Well, because you've had a few of these experts in the same room, is the answer more communication between you know, families and their physicians? Or is it just getting the education out there? Is it doctors talking to themselves or talking to each other? Is it biases being distracted? Like it's what everything. is it? It's everything. It's everything from a, a, a woman, a pregnant woman, feeling comfortable to say to their doctor, I'm not so sure about this. Or physically I'm feeling a certain way, right? Do you realize how many women, particularly black women, will leave the hospital unsure that they are receiving the treatment they need? It happened with my wife twice. It happened to her niece. It's unbelievable. Like every, I, I, I went from not knowing that these stories existed to realizing like every black woman I know has a story mm-hmm. and it's like, how do I tell my doctor? Or I told my doctor and they're like, yeah, no, you're fine. You can go home. And had I not, and, and I've heard a couple of these stories, had I not gone back because my aunt or my mother said, no, you go back, I would have been dead. I have, I have a story that my, my wife allows me to tell because she tells a story about how there was a, what a, a student in residence, uh, uh, right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and this, this young aspiring doctor mm-hmm. caused my wife a great deal of physical pain. And I remember standing there and I didn't advocate for her in the way that I normally would because I thought, well, this person knows what they're doing. So even though I, I'm seeing my wife in physical pain, I'm like, okay, babe, just, just push through it because they have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I remember afterwards my wife crying because it wasn't just the physical pain, it was that this person that she was supposed to trust as medical professional, even though my wife was saying that hurts, was basically saying, yeah, 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 I know, but we, we have to do this. And I remember the lead doctor, We, my, my wife had essentially, I don't know, filed a complaint of sorts, right? The lead doctor came in and opened up like, it was like a yearbook with all of the, the student doctors or whatever you call them in there. And she said, 
pouring them out. And we're like, nah. And it's funny because even after this traumatizing incident, we still were like, nah. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to snitch on anybody. Right. 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 And she said, and I'll never forget this. She was like, nah. Mm-mm. Point them out so that we make sure this doesn't happen again. And that was like, and she wasn't leaving the room. Mm-hmm. And that was like, okay. And we pointed them out. She was like, thank you. You know, I apologize for what happened. We're going to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I realized never again. Never again will, will I just sit back. So to your, to your question, Kim, that's just one aspect of it. And there are so many more aspects to the issues that black women in particular <clears throat> face. It sounds like there just needs to be more just women or people who support women and their voices in the rooms. That's part of it, right? But yeah. consider this. When you're pregnant, you're, you're probably your most vulnerable yeah. state, right? Yeah. And again, we're talking about... How do you even advocate for yourself when you are so vulnerable? You and know? and yeah. we're told that we have to trust mm-hmm. this person because mm-hmm. they know more than us, right? right? Mm-hmm. And historically, historically, this has been a problem, particularly for black women, that they've been put in situations with no one to advocate for them, and they've been told to trust a system that has consistently mistreated and abused them. And so now, yeah, okay, yeah, I would love to say sisters, black women should speak up for themselves. No, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. Because even when they do, see, that's the other side of it. When they do speak up, they're dismissed. And to the point where the doctor holds all the power or the nurse Mm -hmm. holds all the, the care provider holds all the power. So even if you say, hey, I'm not feeling well or my wife, my wife looked at our our child, we had twin boys who are five now and one of them, their eyes were yellow. Well, my wife, who is a novice doctor, she diagnoses everything and everybody. She looked and said, I think something's wrong with him. He may have jaundice. I didn't even know what that was. And the nurse said, no, 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 it'll go away. He'll be fine. We brought that boy home, and we had to order a light bed for him because there was a point at which he was in danger of the infection that he had spreading. And so I remember for about two weeks, it was a week or two, I stayed up all night, didn't get any sleep because he was on this light bed and I was scared out of my mind and I had to change him out every like couple of hours. And I just remember thinking, my wife told them they should have never let us leave the hospital. As a father and specifically a black father, I'd like to know how this impacts you. And I know you can't speak on behalf of all men or all fathers, but just you in particular having these instances yourself in your own life with your own family. What does this look like in your eyes and how does that get fixed? Uh, First and foremost, it is important for us to make room and make space for fathers. And it's it's so great. I'll get into a room and I'll talk with guys. Uh, And we got a great group of guys that are part of the symposium that are we have a whole fatherhood initiative discussion group right and we all have the same stories of being looked at like my wife and I weren't married at the time we had our daughter and it was like I might as well have been anybody right it was like like there would be times where they wouldn't talk to me and even going to see my daughter she was in the NICU for like a week you know there was a whole my wife had to fill out the blue sheet and my wife had to 
affirm or okay every move I made. Mm. And that was, whew, that was a lot. And I talked to fathers and it's just this sense of, it's maybe a little easier if you're married at the time that you your your wife is pregnant, but even those fathers who are married, just that sense of people not looking at you. There's this feeling, I think, amongst the men I talk to of the legitimizing of black fatherhood, mm-hmm. that there's still so much work to be done because there's this stereotype that either we're not there, we don't care, whatever. And it's like, for me, I just want to create a space Two th- for two things to happen. One, we welcome and invite black fathers to come in and share their experiences and connect. And then two, we really establish like what are the things that we need to be doing because our role is to be advocate. Our role is to be comforter. Our role is to be caretaker for the person in our life who is having this baby. Our role is support. So we need to be supported. And then we need to figure out how to best support, you know? And, yeah. and so, because black women, I, if I can just say this real quick, black women have been carrying all of us for far too long. And this is really personal for me because this is, this is a space where I think all of us can show up and start to better support black women. That's Gerard Blanks of Milwaukee Films Black Birth Symposium. We've got information about the initiative and the upcoming event taking place March 25th in the description of this episode. We also have links to more information from Advocate Aurora Health and that ALON report we referenced at the beginning. And we're keeping the conversation going inside our dedicated Facebook discussion group. We're building a bigger community every week and adding new members. We have daily discussion prompts and weekly meetups, so you can choose the level of participation that's right for you. Find the link to join in the description, too. On our next episode of By Every Measure Season 2, we covered birth and what's next. If you have a family, you need a place to live, we're revisiting the topic of housing from Season 1 and learning about Milwaukee's only black suburb, Hallier Park, and how it was built in the middle of Milwaukee. Then we'll learn more about the Thrive On initiative from the Greater Milwaukee Foundation, how housing and healthcare are coming together in a new development next time on By Every Measure, Season 2. By Every Measure, Season 2 is hosted by Tariq Moody and Reggie Jackson, as well as contributor Kim Shine. I'm Nate Imig, executive producer for the podcast, which is mixed and edited by Kiri Salinas, with segment producing by Salam Fatayer. Mallory Wallace and DJ Brewer manage our community engagement and our Facebook discussion group, while Sarah Lahr leads our marketing team of Dan Reiner and Aaron Bagata. Brett Kraskowski is Radio Milwaukee's web editor, and Maxie Jackson is Radio Milwaukee's executive director. Thanks most of all to our members for making this and all content from Radio Milwaukee possible. Radio Milwaukee is hyphen 414music.fm and 88.9 in Milwaukee. By Every Measure Season 2 is an original podcast production of Radio Milwaukee, part of the NPR Podcast Network.